Paul is an apostle, and he's saved by the grace of God. He was delivered from religion, rules, regulations, rituals, and he had an encounter with the Lord on the road to the city of Damascus in Acts 9. We all know that. Jesus revealed himself to Saul, and Saul became Paul. He was radically and totally altered forever. He had two callings on his life, and we tend to forget the second one, the first one. He was called to be a disciple of Jesus and to follow him. Same calling you have. In Matthew chapter 4, don't go there, you know it, verse 19, Jesus called out to them and said, Come, follow me, and I will transform you into people who catch other people for God. So the first calling on every believer, including Saul, who became Paul, the apostle, is to follow Jesus and allow him to make us into someone who seeks and saves the lost. But secondly, Paul was called to be part of the fivefold ministry team. And these, these teams went out from the early church and planted churches. And you read about those churches in the book of Acts and all of the letters written to those churches that you find in the New Testament. So Galatians chapter 1. Verse 1, dear friends, my name is Paul, and I have been commissioned as an apostle of the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. My apostleship was not granted to me by any council of men. I was appointed by Jesus, the anointed one, and God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. I like his credentials. You didn't appoint me, you didn't call me, you didn't empower me. This was God, and if you don't like it, that's your problem. The apostles and the prophets of the early church had a definite plan to spread the gospel of the kingdom throughout the world. They targeted what we now know as regional centers, and they planted apostolic centers in the cities they reached out to and then from the cities they reached out to the surrounding areas and you've heard me teach this little bit before there are six major apostolic centers in the early church so in the book of acts and all those epistles that you read all the letters that you read in the new testament the first center for the apostles and prophets like paul was jerusalem they had a target the target was the jewish people to bring them to completion out of the Jewish religion into the Christian faith. Then they moved north and a little bit east to Antioch, and the spread of the gospel in that city was to the non-Jews or the Gentiles, and that was when Peter had his uh, vision on the rooftop and came down and did things Jews aren't supposed to do, which is fellowship and eat supper with non-Jews. And then they moved west to Corinth, Corinth was the city center of the empire's gambling and sex. So in Paul's day, Corinth as a city would have been the Las Vegas of today. Um, then they moved a little further north and west to Ephesus, which we're going to read in a minute. And that was the center of the occult for the whole of the Roman Empire. And it was a very dark place. And then Paul moved over to Rome. Paul did not begin the church in Rome. It was already there, and no one knows who started it, which I think is really neat. He just went there to influence the people that were in the church, and that church was there to influence the government. So when you think about it, Jews, non-Jews, gambling, darkness and the occult, and then the Roman Empire's government. So God 
created uh, regional centers through Apostle Paul, except for the one of them, so that they would influence all aspects of the life of the people. And then in the year 563, because nothing happened after those five, in 563, an apostolic center was established on the island of Iona. The Iona Island, the island of Iona has been part of the British, the Scottish, and the Wales, and part of Ireland. So it has flipped around all over the place over the years. That apostolic center is still there. Ed and Sheila, the people whose picture you saw, they're going to Vietnam with me, they've actually been there. After I taught them this one time, and they read a book on Iona that I gave them, they decided they'd go visit it. And it's still functioning as an apostolic center from 563 to today. So Paul was a apostolic leader in the church of Antioch. So he's ministering to the Gentiles and Paul gets the apostolic itch. I don't know if you know apostles, but they don't sit still very long. They get itchy and they start moving because they want to plant another church. Once they've got a church established, they want to move on to another place. And so he leaves the church in Antioch in charge of a guy called Apollos. I'm checking your Bible knowledge. Paul moves on to Ephesus because he's heard that there's a small group of disciples there. Um, and so he finds them and he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their answer was, we didn't have not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. The question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, was, were you baptized in the Holy Spirit and empowered by him? That's what the question really is. And when they say no, they didn't know there was a Holy Spirit, then Paul knows that they're not born again. Because if you're born again, the Holy Spirit changes you. You become a new creature in Christ, and he lives in you. Because Christ can't live in you, he's in heaven. So the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so he knew that they were not saved. So he asks them what can be looked at as a strange question. So then whose baptism were you baptized into? When you followed somebody in Bible days, you were baptized in water in their name. So if you were a disciple of John, you would have been baptized in John's name. So it's not a dumb question. He's really asking, whose disciples are you? And they said, well, we were baptized by John. So they, Paul now knows they're John's disciples. And so at that point in time, they're ready to receive, because that was John's job, get people ready to receive Jesus. So Paul explains the gospel of the kingdom to them. They repent and get saved or born again. Paul baptizes them by immersion in water. They come out of the water dripping wet. Paul lays his hands on them. They get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they speak in tongues and prophesy. Acts chapter 19. I've just told you the story. Now we're going to read the scriptures. This is really important to the whole message. Acts 19, verses 1 to 7. And this is the ESV version, but it's close to what you're reading, Judy. Okay. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, so Paul, Apollos has taken Paul's place in Corinth, Paul passed through the island inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so he said, into what then were you baptized? Whose disciples are you? And they said, into John's baptism. 
Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, so they got saved. Paul would have never baptized them in water if they didn't get saved. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And here's the dumbest, second dumbest verse in the whole Bible. There were about 12 men in all. So maybe there was 11 and a half, maybe there's 13 and a half guys, but there was about 12. You couldn't count as far as 12? <laughs> Paul stays in this local church in Ephesus two years and two months. That's the longest he stayed anywhere. He did not stay for years anywhere. He stayed for months. He even formed a school there where people were trained and fivefold ministries were raised up. And during Paul's time there, two years and two months, every person in Asia heard the word of the Lord. So you're going to find that if you look at verse 10. Thank you, Bruce. Every day for over two years, he taught them in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, which resulted in everyone living in the province of Asia, Jews and non-Jews, hearing the prophetic word of the Lord. They were very evangelistic. This was an apostolic center that changed all of Asia. Asia was centered at that point in the city, country of Turkey, but it included Armenia, Iraq, and Iran. So it was a big area. And in two years, everyone heard a prophetic word of the Lord. That's pretty good. And as each person came into the kingdom, they had an understanding. And the same understanding that Paul had. The first call on everyone's life is follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And nothing else is more important than that call. So Paul, eventually, when he's leaving Ephesus... Let me tell you the history. Ephesus has 200,000 people, which was a fairly big city in the days of Bible times. 200,000 people. And when Paul left, it had 50,000 believers. So a quarter of the city was born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and prophesying. And that's why every person heard a prophetic word of the Lord. They were evangelistic. They were spreading the gospel quickly. So Paul continues to travel and plant new churches, and he would revisit the ones that he had established, giving apostolic oversight to them. And then he would also write to them, keeping in touch so that he, when he couldn't be with them in person. And this is where I want you to be, Ephesians chapter 1. So we end up with the epistle that we now know as Ephesians, the letter to the church in Ephesus, which was a city church that met in little groups like this. They didn't have a building. It was illegal. This is an underground church. So they met in homes like this, and they could have, some homes were fairly big, so they'd have anything from eight people to 60 people. The biggest they know of was 60, when it was a very influential, wealthy person who had a big house with a big yard. And so he's writing back to the church in Ephesus, the one we just read about in Acts 19. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 16. My heart is always full and overflowing with thanks to God for you as I constantly remember you in my prayers. Here's his prayer. I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom 
and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deeping, deepening intimacy with him. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. Interesting prayer, huh? I'm going to read it again. I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your heart. Now the version says imagination. These are the same believers we just read about in Acts 19. They're already baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they have power. They have nine gifts of the Spirit. They're evangelizing. They're winning people to the kingdom. People's lives are being changed and transformed. And Paul prays, he should have missed it, that they would have the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of Jesus, and that the eyes of their heart, their spiritual eyes, would be opened. I think we need to pray that today and tomorrow and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. I think we need to be praying that prayer for ourselves on a regular basis. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Can I read that yes. message? Yes. Can you tell me what verse we're on? That's verses chapter 16. 1 of Ephesians 16 to 18. And I read it from the Passion Version. You're welcome. Karen. Okay. Loudly. It has to start at 15 because that's the way the message is. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks. But I do more than, than thank. I ask, ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to do grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. That's good. I think in the world today we need to pray this prayer. We need wisdom. We need revelation. We need our spiritual eyes open so we have a kingdom perspective. Years ago, not that many, I was with Ed and Sheila's, one of Ed and Sheila's sons. I took him to Tajikistan. If you don't know where that is, you have Russia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. Christian faith is illegal in that nation. And Jeremy and I were there for two weeks. No, a week, sorry, because we went down to another country. And we were working with some Baptist leaders. I don't know if I've ever told you the story. A year before this, I had been in Kazakhstan teaching a group of house church leaders. I worked with three different, totally different groups in Kazakhstan, and one of them is house church leaders. And in the midst of this training for three days of these house church leaders in a house, and we were all coming in 20 minutes apart so the government didn't catch us, there was an English-speaking guy who came to me at the end of the first day, and he introduced himself. He said, I'm Volvo, and I'm from Tajikistan, because you know him, you know him. Um, and because um, he came to America with me. Um, and he said, uh, I'm a Baptist. I'm from Tajikistan. I'm the leader of a bunch of Baptist churches there. There's 19, by the way, uh, of them. And he said, on the same morning of the same Sunday, 
in every one of our churches, all of us, remember they're Baptists, all of us were uh, slain in the Spirit, his words, baptized in the Holy Spirit, we all spoke in tongues, and we have no idea what happened to us, because we don't believe any of this. <laughs> so for the next two days, I aimed straight at him and taught him everything I know about what happened to him. God had sovereignly moved in all 19 churches on everybody, leaders, worship leaders, teachers, regular people, everybody got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so a year later, I'm in Tajikistan with them. And uh, we prophesied over the, some of the leaders, and one of the prophetic words I spoke, I knew it was sort of, I hoped, that it was biblical. Uh, here was the prophetic word I spoke over one of the leaders. And we were hiding way up in the mountains, and um, the word was, um, the Lord says, I give to you a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of knowledge. And it went on. And afterwards, Jeremy and I spent about half an hour struggling through our Bibles because we didn't have any way to, we didn't have uh, internet or anything. But that's how we found this verse and realized I just prophesied Ephesians 1, 17 and 18 over the man. And that was one of those aha moments when all the lights went on in my life. And that night I prayed for myself and for Jeremy that that would happen for us. And that was the beginning of some major changes in the way I read my Bible. So let me give you some examples. Some of them you might have heard because I use my revelations to teach. Just listen to them. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So what was the light of men? And everybody answers Jesus, because in him is Jesus. But the thing that's the light of men is the life of God in Jesus. And then six months later, I'm reading Matthew 5, 14, and it says, you are the light of the world. No, you're not. Go try it. Stand on a dark hill some night and see if you shine. The life of God in you is the light of men. And so that's what we mean by a revelation, a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. It's just God showing you something so that you have an aha experience. Okay? Another example. I was reading the scriptures, and again, it happened today in another scripture, and, you know, you hit this impossible situation, and nothing's working right, you know, and then it says in scripture, but God, two words, but God, and that's a revelation. If we just, in our own world, if we would just relax a little bit, we'll realize there'll be a but God happen, and some door will open, some understanding will happen. Another one was 11, Luke 11, 1, Lord, teach us to pray. I don't know if I shared this one with you before, have I? It wasn't teach us how to pray. When they watched Jesus pray, they realized that everything they were doing that was called prayer in their lives, they're Jews, they knew how to pray. They realized that their prayer was nothing compared to what Jesus was doing. So they decided what they were doing wasn't prayer, and they asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Despite the fact they spent their whole lives in the Jewish rituals of prayer. So to me, that was a revelation. In Montreal, when I was there in December, and I went to the Anglican Church Bible study that I told you about, when I was going the second Wednesday before I was heading to the airport, I heard God say, just say yes when they ask you. And I had no idea what they were going to ask me, or even if they were going to ask me. He just said, just say yes. The words were, get ready to say yes. 
And just before I left to go to the airport, the Bible study asked me if I would make sure when I came back that I would lead them for the two Wednesdays I was there. And so I didn't have to say, I'll think about it or I'll pray about it. I already had the answer. The answer was yes. That's the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Last example. Not this last visit last weekend, but the one the month before to uh, Winkler in Manitoba. I live with a young couple. They have strange um, schedules. The young man works out of his house, has an online business that makes good money on, and his wife, they've been married almost a year now, his wife is a nurse. So they're come, go, you know, all hours of the day and night. And I leave at about 6.30 most mornings when I'm there. So I'm leaving to drive home, and it's quarter after six in the morning, and I always lock the door. You're leaving, you lock a door. They're not in a high-rent district. They're in a, a district like this where things aren't always very safe. And um, so as I'm leaving, and I got half my stuff in the car, and I went back to the house to get the other half, and I literally, you know, one of those God said things, I heard God say, don't lock the door. And I stood there, and I said, I always lock the door. These people aren't living in a high-rent area. You know, this is not the palace. This is like a 1970s district. And I really knew God said, don't lock the door. So I didn't lock the door. I got in my car and I do that. I have the same routine. You know, I adjust the seat belt. I turn the heat on on the seat because it's cold. It's winter. I turn the radio on to get some nice music and I plug my phone in. And then I drive away. I went to plug my phone in and I didn't have it. So I went back into the house and I had flipped the bed covers over on top of my phone and hadn't remembered I'd done it and just assumed it was with me. If I had locked the door, I'd had to wake up that couple at quarter after six. How do you wake them up? They're at the other end of the house. I'm at one end and they're at the far other end and I don't have a phone. So I picked up my phone and I left and locked the door. So this is just simple revelation. Let God guide you, let God direct you, let God speak to you. We're supposed to live by revelation. We're believers. Okay, so in John 14, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance everything he taught you. Ooh. In John 16, it says the Holy Spirit will speak further truth because Jesus didn't have time to share all the truth in his three years. In John 16, again, it says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. In Luke 12, it says the Holy Spirit will give you words to speak when you're in front of somebody who doesn't know who he is. So the Holy Spirit is supposed to bring us wisdom and revelation as we live as disciples of Jesus. Hmm. Our problem is we don't always follow him. We follow a preacher or an author or a speaker or a pastor or some leader or some idiot on the internet. And I know I'm on the internet. You're not an idiot. If we're following Jesus, he will make us fishers of men. And we will have, if we ask for it, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So let me define wisdom. Wisdom is simply God's wisdom as counteracting worldly wisdom. You know this stuff. James 1.5. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives liberally to those of us who admit we don't know what to do and need his help to tell us what to do. So, you know, in the Old Testament, there was this group called the Sons of Issachar. Nobody seems to have ever heard of these guys. 
but they knew the times and the seasons, the times that they were living in and the season that God was calling forth in the kingdom. So we need wisdom and understanding for the daily life that we have. Circumstances, relationships, what do we do now? How do you handle the 23-year-old kid who dies in a car accident when he's got his whole future in front of him? Why did that happen? Why did God let that happen? If we don't have wisdom, we're not going to have answers. And we need wisdom if we're going to impact people, our families. All right, secondly, revelation, as you follow Jesus and become fishers of men, it's not revelation of future events. That's the ministry of an apostle or a prophet. It's not a new teaching or a new truth because there's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1.9. And it's not deep truths. It's just understanding, a new understanding of an old truth, some fresh new insights. You know, you look at the scripture from a different angle and it's like a diamond. It shines a different way. Um, you get an aha moment that you can apply something to your own life. Am I with you? That's what we need. Mm -hmm. So as you read your Bible, you should be getting new life, new understanding, and new insight. And I discovered that six months ago, I was reading my Bible. I was bored right out of my tree. And that's why I began to pray this prayer again. I had been praying it for a long time since Tajikistan, and then I stopped. And then I realized the revelation and the wisdom stopped with it. And Jesus said in John 6, 63, my words are spirit and they are life. So if you're reading it and there's no life, it's dead. It's just words on paper. It's just information. Hey, I've read this thing, this Bible, I've read it four times every year since I've been saved. I've been saved over 40 years. I've read the thing 175 times. I figured it out. I've read the New Testament twice more every year during that time. I know who did it. I've read the end. So if you're just reading it for information, for more knowledge, that's not what it's about. It's spirit and it is life. And if it's not, then we need to ask God to become involved and bring us revelation and wisdom. Everybody with me? Yep. Okay, Romans chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans chapter 12. The Word is supposed to inform our minds. So what I just said doesn't mean you shouldn't know the Bible. You need to know the Bible. Romans 12, 2. Stop imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture around you. Be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in His eyes. So that's your head. You need your head. You need the Bible to transform the way you think. But then secondly, you need to let it move from your head down into your heart. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And in Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews 4, Verse 12, for we have the living word of God. 
So it's more than just printed words. It's a living word of God, which is full of energy, and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. So one, Romans 12, two says, let it transform the way you think so that you're thinking like God thinks. But Hebrews 4, 12 says you have to let it get deeper than that. It has to go into your heart and it separates between soul and spirit. It separates between spirit and flesh, your thoughts, his thoughts. Who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. So let him inspire you through the Bible so that you have life. So it has to engage the heart or the soul and not just the mind. Here's your problem. Here's my problem. We're rational people. We want to understand everything. So we read the Bible with our minds, and that's a rational approach. We're looking for information, understanding, insights. But that's not the way it works. We're supposed to let the words sink deep into our hearts so that it speaks to us personally. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, so there, when you're reading the Bible, um, anytime the word word shows up, you all know this, um, it's, we have a problem because in the Greek, uh, it has two meanings. So let me give you an example. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, if you look up the word word in the Greek, the original language, that's logos, which simply means the spoken word or the written word on paper. There's a second time when the word shows up. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Same English word, but in the Greek, that's a rhema. That's the word in the Greek, rhema. And rhema is a now word spoken to you in your now circumstances for your situation that you're in. That's what brings you faith. That's what brings you life. That's what brings uh, understanding. That's what brings wisdom. And so what we're looking for, when we just have it in our head, it's logos. It's written words. It's a nice story, true story, but it doesn't change us. You're looking for the word, the logos, the written word, the Bible, to speak to your insides, into your heart, into your soul and spirit, and then the logos becomes rhema. So... If you get a rhema word from God, it brings you faith. That's Romans 10, 17. That's when the stuff jumps out at you. Yes, yeah. when it jumps off the page at you. All right, if you get a rhema word, that's what releases life. If you get a rhema word, that's what transforms you and changes you. And we need to read it, engage in it with our whole being and not just our minds. Honestly, we're really too rational. We need to, when we're reading the Bible, read it with our feelings and our emotions, read it with our decision box, our will, read it with our mind and gear. So again, Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. That's inside. So, example. The woman caught in adultery. Remember her? I don't know what happened to the guy she was sleeping with. But the leaders dragged this woman into, the, into where Jesus was, and the, the leaders circle her because legally, religious legalism, the Bible says from the Old Testament, if a woman is caught in adultery, you stone her to death. 
So, in reality, Jesus could have stoned her to death because by Old Testament Jewish standards, that was allowed. And so Jesus bends down and he writes stuff in the dirt. Nobody knows what he wrote. And slowly but surely, from the oldest to the youngest, people begin to disappear, take their rocks, and they go home. And eventually there's nobody standing there. And so Jesus says to her, who, who is it that's uh, condemning you? In other words, who's saying that I should throw a stone at you? And she looks around and there's nobody there, so she says, no one. And then Jesus says, neither do I. I don't condemn you either. Go home. Stop sinning. You can read that with absolutely no feeling. But if your imagination will light up, and you can think of a woman on the ground thinking that she's about to be covered in stones and be dead. And she looks up and she sees the eyes of and Jesus looking straight through into her soul. And Jesus says, sweetie, I don't condemn you. Your faith doesn't condemn you. Religion does, but I don't. You know, rise up, leave, go, you're free. But if you can read that without feelings, you don't understand what I'm talking about. To get out of this what we need, this spirit of wisdom, this spirit of revelation. We need to engage it with our whole being and stop just reading words on a piece of paper. It's more than that. It's spirit and it is life. And we need to release it every morning or every night, whenever you read your Bible, before you read your Bible, after you read your Bible. Now, how do you do that? What is, how, what's the, the practical part of this? The part I haven't shared yet. You're going to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So, the key to all of this is follow him, like Paul did. The first call on Paul's life was to follow Jesus. The first call on your life, my life, is to follow Jesus and to come to know him better. And then when we do that, he will make us to be like him, which means we'll become fishers of men. So this verse says exactly the same thing. You're going to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The more you know him, the more wisdom. The more you know him, the more he'll show you revelation. So the key for us, other than praying this, is get to know him better than you've ever thought you should know him. Come and follow me. I'll transform you into men and women who catch people for God. So the key is simply to follow Jesus. Listen, <laughs> you got saved. God put a gift inside of you. It's called eternal life. Eternal life is that you may know God. But if you don't put any effort into it, you won't. John chapter 15 says, We're the branches on the vine, and the vine is... Jesus, you saw that last week in Francis Chan's teaching. In Acts 17, it says, In him we live and move and have our existence, our being. <clears throat> Colossians 1 says, Christ in you is the hope of all the glory that you're ever going to see or receive. 2 Corinthians 5 says, We are a new creature in Christ. Everything is about Jesus. We've made it all about us. It's all about Jesus. So as you read your Bible, here's my suggestion for the next 11 months of the year. Focus on Jesus. Period. So that means reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
who went to bed with their socks still on because they lived in Saskatchewan. <laughs> Read your Bible and focus on Jesus. Don't focus on you. Don't focus on the promises. Don't focus on the commandments. Don't focus on, focus on what... Do you know that Jesus said an awful lot? <laughs> and he said a lot of radical stuff. And we just wash over it because we know it. We've heard it. It's just like water off a duck's back. It's black print on white paper. So as you read, focus on Jesus. So here's my suggestion. How did he live? Look at what he said. How he treated people. His friendships. And he had some. His sharing. His methods of discipling. His methods of mentoring people. How did he treat and interact with non-believers? What did he value? What was his attitude? What was his heart like? What was his prayer life? There's one that'll wake you up. So Paul the Apostle, he's following Jesus throughout his life, comes to know him, walks in this spirit of wisdom and revelation, ends up praying everybody else would get this spirit of wisdom and revelation. So Paul's at the end of his life, and he writes, and you've got to look this one up. Philippians chapter 3. Paul actually prays in Philippians chapter 3 at the end of his life here's his prayer that I may know him what verse? Ah, verse 10 I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me I will be one with him in his sufferings and I will be one with him in his death Listen, this is the end of his life. This is the guy who prayed everybody else would have the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. And even at the end of his life, he's still praying, I want to know him better. So I don't think this is going to wear out at the end of 2020. It's a lifelong prayer as we follow him. And as we think about that, and if you'll do what I'm suggesting because I've been doing it for the last five months, four months, and it's revolutionizing a lot in my life, you'll see Jesus as you've never seen him before. But more importantly, you begin to experience him because you're engaging in the word and its spirit and its life. And then you'll be made into his likeness. And believe it or not, then you become fishers of men. Our biggest problem isn't that we don't evangelize. Our biggest problem is we're not following. Because as you follow, he makes us into fishers of men. So I want to show you um, a video. It's a short one. You'll enjoy it. It goes with what Bruce said. Now, you're not going to remember what Bruce said, but I'll remember what Bruce said because I knew what I was going to teach you. He said that the back page, that we would have many countries, many disciples, and many salvations. So we're going to go to many places we're going to have many people that we're going to train to do what we do as we follow Jesus. You know, follow me like I follow Jesus. And then many salvations. Because some people will never be discipled. They won't want to be, but they'll get saved. So we're going to go fishing. Many countries, many disciples, many salvations. As we follow him, he's going to make us fishers of men. But the call is to follow him. And we're following so many other things, including ourselves. So this is a video 
I don't know if you know the chosen people yet, but this is a great video. And I want